And welcome, Hoosier fans, to another special edition episode of the Assembly Call. Really, really excited about the show that we have for you today. Got the opportunity to interview Devonte Green uh, and just got done with the conversation as I record this. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation uh, with Devonte. Really insightful. You know, we go through some of the biggest moments of his career. You know, a guy like Devonte, that seemed like the best way to to structure the interview. You know, so many memorable moments from him. Obviously, during a time at IU when there weren't a whole lot of memorable moments. But he provided so many, uh, and so we talked through some of those, and then kind of used that as a jumping-off point, uh, you know, to talk about just some of the more interesting topics in his career, uh, you know, the stuff that you would expect, you know, how he felt that he fit in the offense, um, you know, playing for Tom Crane, playing for Archie Miller, his relationship with Archie Miller, and the ups and the downs uh, of that relationship, which, by the way, make sure that you stick around for the end because <laughs> he tells this great story at the very end uh, about this interaction that he had with Archie that is uh, that is hilarious. So you're definitely going to want to make sure uh, that you listen to that. But, you know, insight on his first team, his freshman team with with Tom Crean that started out so well, but the bottom fell out. Um, you know, why did things not go so well his junior year, you know, with Romeo Langford when they lost 12 out of 13 games? How did they feel at the end of his senior year when – they were playing, you know, they had played their way into the tournament, probably. How did they feel that they would have done? Um, you know, so just so so many topics to talk about with Devontae. He's really open. He's really candid. Uh, and so this is a really fun interview that I think you will enjoy. And so very excited to bring it to you. Uh, I do just want to issue a reminder. I know Mother's Day is coming up this weekend. Father's Day is coming up soon. I would make sure that you check out Playbook Products. You can use our link, assemblycall.com slash PP. You can go there. They have these really cool stone coasters. They have leather coasters. And they have diagrams of some of the most famous plays in the history of a lot of sports teams. They have a bunch of college teams. They have every professional team. And so you go there, and it's this cool way, whether it's on a coaster, whether it's on a coffee mug, to give the sports fan in your life something that commemorates a moment that is probably meaningful to them. And so I would just go there, assemblycall.com slash PP, browse around. Sometimes they have deals like, you know, buy three coasters or buy three mugs, get one free, stuff like that. Uh, but go there to assemblycall.com slash PP, check it out. If you have a sports fan in your life, there probably will be something there that they like. And so it makes for a great Mother's Day present, a great Father's Day present, or even if you're just shopping for yourself, get yourself something cool. Again, that URL is assemblycall.com slash PP. All right. Uh, without further ado, no ads for this one. Let's just play the interview all the way through. Uh, enjoy it. No interruptions. Here is my conversation with Devontae Green. All right. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this explosive special edition episode of The Assembly Call. As today, I have the privilege of spending some time with one of the all-time heat check scorers in the history of Indiana basketball. He famously has the Grand Theft Auto San Andreas cheat code tattooed on his arm. And at times throughout his IU career, he absolutely played like a basketball cheat code. You know, as we all know, Indiana didn't win as many big games as we would have liked over the last half decade. But when they did, this guy almost always played a leading role. And now we have a chance to catch up with him and see what he's doing now and get the story of his IU career in his own words. So, fellow Hoosiers, I am talking to Mr. Greenlight himself, Devontae Green. And by the way, that is actual applause from the Iowa game your senior year after your third straight three, I think. I pulled that off YouTube. <laughs> How you doing, man? Good, good. So good to have you, man. Thanks thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. 
So let's start. I'd love to just get an update on what you're doing now, because I think most IU fans saw, you know, you had started your professional career over in Greece. Your first game, you hit the game winner for your team, which was awesome. And that uh, that was on Twitter. But um, how's that going? How's that going for you now? Um, now I'm back home in America. Yeah. Um, Greece, Greece was fun. It was uh, learned a lot out there and um, it's a different style of play, different game for sure. But I think I adjusted pretty well, and I did pretty good over there. Is it is it a good adjustment? Like, is it a more wide-open game that kind of suits your style a little better? Mm, no, I wouldn't say <laughs> so. <laughs> when when are we going to get you in a wide-open style that you can just go do your thing, man? <laughs> soon, soon enough. Coming soon. Hopefully. Good. Good. Yeah. So, you know, I was looking, you know, just kind of doing my research, looking on the Wikipedia page, and it said that you, you parted ways with your Greek team due to a medical condition that you suffered during the season. What um what are you comfortable sharing about that? And is everything okay? Yeah. Um. So I, when I was out there in Greece, I got diagnosed with diabetes. Oh wow. Um, oh, I had it. So I was playing with it for a while. They don't know how long I had it, and um, it was a big thing. So I had to get rushed to the hospital, and I was in the hospital for a few days. And holy moly! I, out there, I got in a car accident. I've been through a couple of injuries because of my diabetes. So I've been through so much. And we just decided it was the best decision for me to go home. <laughs> Jeez. What, um, were you experiencing like some symptoms that made you go in and get checked for that? Or how did they, how'd they figure that out? Yeah, I wasn't feeling good. My stomach wasn't hurting. Uh, my head was hurting and uh, I was super thirsty. Like I couldn't stop drinking water. I'll drink a gallon of water, still be thirsty. So, um, they, they was like, all right, let's get your, your teeth checked, your ears checked and let's get your blood drawn. Yeah. Once we came back, there's like, Oh, your, your blood sugar's through the roof. You need to get to the hospital now. Wow. So are you, you doing some things now to manage it? Like, is this something that you think you'll be able to manage and get back on the court and play? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm a type one diabetic, so, um, I have to take insulin every day. And, um, when I work out, I'm, I'm getting used to working out with the now. I've just started getting active, moving up and down. I've been working out mostly stationary and, um, my body's reacting good to it. So I'm, I'm learning it's a lot of, a lot of things to learn, especially being an athlete with diabetes, but, um, you know, I mean, life is throwing his curveballs at me, and I've handled them all pretty well. So I think this this one will be handled too. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got a great attitude about it. What you know, that's usually something that people are diagnosed with when they're younger, right? Is it normal to to get a diagnosis at at your age? Uh, no, he he said it's very rare to get it, like in your mid twenties. And um, yeah, like you said, usually you get it young, your teenage, even before you're a teenager, and um. Yeah, it was just rare that that I got it. He said it could have been triggered within the last five years at any point, and it was just waiting to be triggered. In unfortunately, when I went to Greece, it was triggered out there. Wow. Do you you know now that you know? Is there any type of kind of relief that you know that you've got this? You can kind of treat it. Like, do you anticipate that now it will actually kind of help you reach a different level of performance or a different level of play? But like, do you feel like it was holding you back at all during the last four or five years of your basketball career? Um, honestly, I think, I think it's probably the reason for some of my injuries that I didn't know about. And, um, I mean, hopefully it, it'll, it'll, I'll make a breakthrough now that I'm aware of it. I know what I have to do to control it and my body will feel better. I have to change my eating habits a little bit. So I'm hoping that once I get it all figured out and, um, set, then I'll be feeling a lot better. Wow, man. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I mean, I'm obviously not happy that, you know, you got diagnosed with that, but I'm glad you figured it out and that you can manage it and hopefully it, it helps you moving forward.
Gosh. All right. So, so are you, what, what's the plan then? Are you planning on getting back, getting back to your professional career then next season? Yeah, this season I'm going to um, go to the training camps because I didn't get a chance to do that last year. Uh, summer league, they're going to have a summer league, I heard. So I'm going to try to get in there, play that. Um, if I don't get picked up by a team, then I'll play for for a G League team and try to work my way that way. But um, definitely going to stay in the States this year. Okay. So you have not in any way given up on your dream of playing in the NBA? No. Good. No, not. <laughs> All right. Good, man. That's good to hear. Well, shoot, man. Yeah. We wish we wish you the best of luck, and I, you know, hope you get into the summer league and that all that goes well. And you know, if you do have your pick of G League teams, I live in Frisco. We have a good team right here in Frisco. So if you, uh, you know, if you get your pick, go, go to Frisco because you'll be close, and we can go see your games. <laughs> um, all right, so let's so let's switch gears a little bit. And thanks for your candor on that. I know it's probably not always easy to share, so I appreciate that. Um, you know, I wanna I wanna talk about your IU career, and I kind of wanted to do it in kind of a fun, unique way. Um, you know, your career was known for these explosive moments, you know, as I kind of alluded to in the intro. And so as a way of talking about your career, I want to actually count down some of your biggest, most memorable moments that everybody listening to this is going to remember. I pulled six of them. I've got the audio from them. So we're going to listen to the audio of these plays. And then I want you to just kind of react to them, talk about them, and it'll lead into some questions. The first five are not in any particular order, but I did save the best for last. So just know that. I saved the best one for last. Um, But let's go here with the first one. I don't know if all these will have identifying marks. Maybe they will, but I just want to play it, and then you tell me if you know what game it's from. All right, so here is the first one. If they hadn't called the foul, it was going to be a tip-follow dunk for Florida State. That ended up being, as much as they're doing, a good break. Green went behind the back. All right. So obviously they said the name of the game, but do you remember what play that was? I remember that play. Uh, I was standing at the top, top of the key, dribbling, waiting for the play to form. Guy reached in on the back, in and out, hesitation, layup, and one. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You, you don't hear an like an ah like that from the crowd very often. That's where you you kind of crossed him over because he went for the steal. What does it what does it feel like in the moment when you hear the crowd say something like that? Us. It's an amazing feeling, um, especially as a guard. Like usually for for bigger guys, it's like when you dunk on when you get that that feeling. It's the same same feeling um, as a guard when you cross somebody over. You know, and what, was, what I love about that play, and if I recall correctly, so when we do our post game show, you know, we always do a banner moment at the beginning of the show, which is like you know the biggest play of the game. And I'm pretty sure that was the play that we chose from that game. Because it, you know, it wasn't one of your many three pointers from that game, but you know, we had had the lead all game. It was down to five. They had just missed a free throw, so they had a chance to take it to a one possession game, and that play got us back up to an eight point game, and we kind of cruised from there. And you, of course, finished with thirty points, six rebounds, three assists, two steals. And you know, the thing that's so memorable about, about that game is there were four or five NBA players on the court, and you were the star of that game. Like how, when you reflect on that game. How much confidence do you take from a performance like that, knowing that there were lottery picks, you know, and other guys that were on the court? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it just it it tells me that I know I can play at that level, you know. And those guys are great defenders, and um, I was giving them problems that game. <clears throat> and like you said, they went on to be lottery picks for their defense. So that just tells me that I can play with the best defenders that are 
at that level. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And obviously, Victor was in attendance at that game because you looked over at him after one of your three pointers. And I think Danny was there for that game too, wasn't he? No, Danny wasn't there. Vic, okay, Vic was. Vic was that Danny wasn't at that one, but you, you know, you kind of had a history through your career, like when Danny was there, because he was there for a couple games and I'm pretty sure you had big games, you know, every time. And obviously that was a big moment on national TV. Victor's there. Was there something that like you got up a little extra for those moments? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm one of the, those players that's like, uh, I got something to prove. You know what I mean? That that's what gets me going. And, um, when my brother comes, of course, that's family. And Vic comes, he's a you know legend, legend in IU. So I mean, I, I got that kind of you know I got something to prove feeling. And luckily, I was I was hot that game and I was hitting. Yeah, well, you certainly were. You know, the other thing that that game makes me think about is you know that FSU team was really good, twenty six and five. I think they were ranked fifteenth in Ken Palm. You know, pros all over the place. You guys killed them. And you know, at the end of that season. You were projected to make the NCAA tournament, probably like a nine or a ten seed, but you were projected to be in the tournament. Obviously, COVID came and that kind of killed everything. You know, now you guys had lost three or four to end the regular season, but then you blew out Nebraska in the Big Ten tournament. I think as fans, we all had confidence, like, hey, this team may not be very consistent, but they can beat good teams. What did you guys feel like in the locker room about you know, as you beat Nebraska, you're getting ready to play Penn State in the Big Ten tournament. How confident were you guys about your ability to make a run in the Big Ten tournament and to make a run in the NCAA tournament before it all was taken away? We were all super motivated, um, super confident, too. Um, I think we were getting to play our best basketball towards the end of the season, and um, we thought we were going to make a big run in the, in the tournament, especially after the first game. And we knew we had a, we had a motivation. We, we wanted to get to the NCAA tournament. We knew that win would probably solidify a spot in the tournament. So we just wanted to do that, get that job done, and leave no doubt that we deserve to be in the NCAA tournament. So that was our motivation moving forward. And I think the headspace that we were all at as a team, we would have done really well in both tournaments. What was that moment like when you found out that that was being taken away? Um... It kind of it didn't really feel real, honestly, when when I first heard about it because it was still up in the air. Um, the co- the the one coach had gotten rushed to the hospital because he was feeling sick, yeah. and they might not have the rest of the Big Ten tournament. Then the rumors started going like, "Oh, we might not have NCAA tournament. It might be the end of the season." But when it when it when the news came out that it wasn't going to happen, I mean, it was kind of devastating because we, um, especially me as a senior. Me and Deron Davis, we were the only two seniors to stay four years and not make an NCAA tournament. So that was number one on our goal list. So, I mean, you know, we, we wasn't going to be there. It was kind of devastating. How do you view that now? Like, obviously, just based on the technicality of not playing in an NCAA tournament game, people will be able to bring up that stat. But you and Deron together, personally, do you view that stat as accurate or inaccurate? Um, I don't know Deron's view of it but me i definitely think it's inaccurate because like i said that last game would have probably solidified a spot for us in the tournament and we would have been playing in the tournament so it's not fair that COVID took that away from us but in my book i made the ncaa tournament (laughs) based on what would have happened so 
Well, and look, for a guy who enjoyed the big stage, you know, as we talked about, like, okay, what can this Indiana team do in the NCAA tournament? That was something we talked about a lot. It's like, well, you know, put Devontae on a big stage and good things can happen. And if he gets hot, you know, he can help carry this team. So it was a great, you know, it was a regret for all of us because obviously it's been a, it's been a rough four or five years just success wise. And that was the best team of that group. And so it, it does feel like something's missing that we didn't get to see you guys in the NCAA tournament. All right, so let's go to the next one. Uh, this is another game from your senior season. Let's see if you remember which this one, which one this one is. Oh boy, he was close to. That's a bad shot. Screen <laughs> <laughs> again. <laughs> Green. Got it. My favorite part about that is the beginning. Oh, that's a bad shot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what? By the way, just for folks listening, your your audio's cutting out like just a little bit. If I'm when there's other audio going, it doesn't. You don't pop in. So there's sometimes if it sounds on the audio like uh, like there's a dead spot or you're only getting half of what Devonte says, it's because when he comes in after I'm talking, there's a slight delay for whatever reason. So just wanted to point that out. But what you know what game that was, right? Iowa. I'm pretty sure. Yep, that was the Iowa game. So the first play was you had this great spin catch. You're almost falling out of bounds, and then you just jack up the three, and you make it. Then you had the step back in the corner. Then the one where Trace passes it to you on the left wing, and you kind of barely caught the ball and just kind of launched it up and made it. Uh, yeah. 27 points, 7 of 11 from deep. And what I thought about you know, watching that game, you know, Iowa games are always fun because they're up and down. There's a lot of three-pointers. It's fast-paced. They're a fun team to play. You, know, you had a big game against them as a sophomore, too. Do you ever look back and wish you'd been able to play in more games like that? More just wide open offensive games like that? A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, that's that's my style of play, you know. And um running gun coming into college, um Coach Crean was was kind of a running gun coach. He he liked the running gun offense. And um I think I do I play best in that, in that kind of environment. You know what I mean? So like you said, I was that kind of team. And, um, once, once the, the pace is set, it's, it's easy to, to stay in that, in that flow. You know, it always seemed to fans watching your career, especially, you know, the final three years when, you know, coach Crane is gone, Archie comes in, he's doing a different style. You stay, but it, you know, it so often felt like, you know, it was kind of like a, a, a square peg in a round hole. You know, like you have this ability in the open court to play a wide open style. You didn't really get the opportunity to do that with Archie. And I know, you know, people have asked you and you have said you don't regret staying. You know, you committed to Indiana and that's the decision that you made. With a little bit of reflection, do you still feel that way? And do you ever kind of think about, man, what if I'd gone, you know, to another place? What if I'd taken that opportunity to transfer, gone to a place that was that was more wide open? Does that Does that ever enter your mind now? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I think about it a lot, actually. Um, especially because the new rule, you can just transfer and play now, you know? And, um, that was, that was probably a big decision of, of my staying. Like I wanted to be committed to IU cause that was the decision I made and stick it out. And I just didn't want to be one of those guys who, you know, was transferring around all over. Um, but if I maybe would have had the opportunity to play right away, if I transferred, that might have swayed my decision a little bit more, um, especially after ha- having a year with Archie and seeing the, the style of play. But um, I still I still don't regret it. 
You know what I mean? Um, everything happens for a reason. I'm a big believer in that. So I think the path I chosen was the one for me. Is it accurate to to say, as you know, as we often did watching it, that you know that you and Archie butted heads some, as as often guards and their and their coaches do. You know, did it did it feel like that kind of going through it with him? You know, or did you feel like you were on the same page with him? How was that relationship? Um, yeah, me me and Archie had a a little weird relationship. We we didn't really agree as much on the court, but off the court, we were like almost the same person, almost. You know. And um, he's a cool guy and um, we got along, but we just had different viewpoints on the court and as far as basketball. And I think that just had to do with the way I wanted to play and the way he wanted to play. But it took us a while. But like I said, we was playing our best basketball towards the end of the season my senior year because me and Archie did sort of get um, come to an agreement on how we were playing. Hmm. What, was there like a a key moment where that turned or like a key conversation that, that kind of spurred that change? Um not I wouldn't say a key conversation. I think we just um we knew where, where our team was heading and we we wanted the same goal. Like as a as a player and a coach, we, we all want the same goal. So we just um realized that it's not gonna work unless we come together and all want the same thing. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective on something. You know, I don't I don't know if you have paid a lot of attention to what's going on at IU, obviously, you know, since you've gone and obviously Archie got fired after last season. And so when Scott Dolson was int- introducing Mike Woodson, he said that, you know, he sat down with the existing players and asked them, you know, what do you want in a coach? And he said the three things that they listed were better relationships, more development and a more wide open offense. And I'm curious what your reaction is to hearing those three things that the players said that they wanted. Can you repeat the three things? Sorry. Yeah. It was better relationships, like better relationships with the coaches, more player development, and then a more wide open offense. We know that you agree with number three, <laughs> obviously we all <laughs> <Yeah>. do, <laughs> but I'm, I'm especially yeah. curious your thoughts on the first two. Um, better relationships. I mean, uh, I think we all had our own they're not really it felt, it felt more like a business than a family at times for for guys so i could understand why why some of the guys would say relationships because um the coaches aren't some certain coaches i mean i'm not going to say the whole coaching staff but i could see why they would say some coaches aren't, aren't really like involved on a personal level with, with players so i could see why that would be said and then um Sorry, what was the other one again? De- development, player development. De- player development. Okay, I can agree with that one too. Um, just off the fact that having two coaches, I had Crean and and Archie. Crean was a major player developer. Like that's all we did in practice, pretty much. We we never played against each other. And Archie, on the other hand, all we did was play against each other, five on five in, in game situation. So. Um, I could see why they would say player development too, because it wasn't nearly as much for me for between the two coaches. And um, yeah, I, I could see, I could see that. Okay, cool. Well, hold that thought on Kareem. Cause I do, I want to ask you a little bit more about your experience with him coming up, but I want to get to highlight number three. Now this one came okay. in, a, this one came in a loss, but it was still a pretty impressive uh, individual performance. So here we go. Big moment. Number three. Green, the long three. Hey! 
still alive. Langford gives it up. Green long three again. Oh, oh, are you kidding? He's hit another. All right, what game is that? Ohio State, Big Ten. <laughs> Ohio State, the Big Ten tournament, where you almost, you reminded a lot of folks of Todd Leary in the Final Four, and I don't know if you remember, if you were know the story of the 1992 Final Four, where Todd Leary made like three threes to almost bring Indiana back. And you did that. Did anybody mention that to you, the Todd Leary story after that Ohio State game? No, it was the first time I've heard of it, actually. Yeah, it's that was definitely one of the things that I thought of, which is just like a guy getting super red hot at the end of a game that seems out of reach, and then it gives you a little bit of hope. You know, you still don't win it, but my God, 26 points, 8 of 10 from three-point range. And those last two were just so deep. Like, something that most of us are never going to get a chance to experience. Like, I played ball in high school, and I had a couple... I was a shooter, so I had a you know, game where I hit six threes, a game where I hit seven threes. But doing it in college is different. Like, what is it like to feel that hot where, like Michael Jordan used to describe it. I remember watching a, a video of Michael Jordan when I was a kid. He, and it, the line he said was, you know, the rim just seemed like a big old bucket. You know, mm-hmm. like, what is it like when you get that hot? It's, it's just like Jordan said. It's just, <laughs> it seems like you can't miss. And um, you just want to shoot everything because you feel like everything's going to go in. But um, even with the crowd, with IU fans in the crowd, it makes it that much better because you know how crazy our fans are. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's an interesting question because our fans are crazy and you know, you, you're kind of allude to the good part of the crazy, you know, where, you know, you make some threes, they're excited and there's nothing like a, a raucous assembly hall. How is the flip yeah. side of that for you? Um, I mean, like you said, I've definitely seen both both sides of it at, at, at its extremes. But um, I mean, I've learned that there's actually a lot more solid fans than the wishy washy fans. The one, just just the wishy washy fans speak out about it a lot more. <laughs> so you have a good game, they're gonna praise you for it. You have a bad game, they're gonna kill you for it. Like, and that's just the way it works. What What led you to that realization? Um, I went through a period where, where I was the one getting killed, you know, after every game or whatever it was. And, and, um, um, Twitter, my Twitter was going crazy. Everybody was, was mentioning me and I seen a lot more people trying to defend me than actually coming at me. You know what I mean? And, um, I got a lot of positive DMS and stuff like once, um, people seeing how, how bad it was, it, people were talking about me and I was like, you know what? There's actually a lot, a lot more good fans than, than I thought there were. That's good. What, like, if you could give advice, you know, to someone like me who runs a podcast and other fans who are listening to this about, you know, how to use social media in a good way to help support players, what can we do to help be more supportive voices for players on social media? Um, I mean. It's social media is so big. Like after after every game, I'm sure the guys are checking, you know, what's being said right after every game. So um, just keep in mind what you're saying, because they probably will see it if you're saying something crazy and people have taken it to the most extreme. So um, just just watch what you're saying if if you're going to say something. And I mean, you can have your own opinion. You think someone's not good, then you can say that. But you don't have to like slaughter them for it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 
So, okay, so getting back to this concept of being red hot, because I'm so curious about this. Like, I think people see that. They see your performance against Ohio State. They see the performance against, you know, Iowa, 7 of 11, 8 for 10. And the question is, why can't he do that every game? Or why can't, you know, why can't the shooting be a little bit more consistent? Do you, do you have any ideas just from why, you know, in your career there would be games where you couldn't miss and then other games where it kind of seemed like you struggled to get into the flow? Was that a game plan thing? Was that, you know, your own mentality? Like, what do you attribute that to now? Um, well, you know, when, when you're hot, you're hot. The saying, you know, um, and I would get hot at times, but it's like when I wasn't hot, then um, I wasn't into the flow of the game as much. You know what I mean? I, I would get a lot less shots. Um, and mind you, I was coming off, I came off the bench my entire career. So I had to learn to even get into the rhythm right, right off the bench right away. You know what I mean? When I'm not hot. But that the consistency thing was, was the biggest um, thing of my, my game. And I mean, so, some games... You just, you know, everybody has off nights, everybody. And um, I had my, my fair shoe, my fair share of off nights and my fair share of hot nights. So that's just the, the way the game works. Do you think, do you think playing in a different style would have helped? Or do you think, you know, one criticism that has been talked about with Archie, you know, for all the things that he does well is a lot of guys who shot well in high school or show or had a history of shooting well haven't didn't shoot as well under him and some people have said that you know maybe Archie didn't do a good enough job of building guys confidence maybe had too quick of a hook or was too you know exacting with his demands for shot selection do you think that played a role at all or do you think that that is kind of stuff that we overblow as you know just fans trying to kind of spin a narrative from what we watch for the 40 minutes when you're on the court um I think it's a little bit of both um for sure he he would um he wouldn't want you know, he didn't want early threes. He didn't want. He was, he's very specific on his shot selection when it came to when it comes to threes. And um, the other part of that, I mean, when when we weren't shooting good, we would we would just put up a lot of shots, you know, and we would work on it. So confident, you kind of as a player, you have to build your own confidence. Like if you know you're a good shooter, you just have to stick. You can't stop shooting. You know, what I mean, you have to shoot because you know you're a good shooter, and it, and it will fall. But um, at the same time, I don't feel like everyone felt comfortable with taking certain shots. And we weren't taking a lot of threes at all, really, which is like the game has changed now. You're taking a bunch of threes now. And we really weren't taking that many threes. So I think that had an effect on our percentage in our shooting for sure. Yeah. Like, did you ever feel when when your shot wasn't falling, did you ever lose your confidence? Because you seem to me like a guy that always believes the next one's going going in. But did you have any periods where your confidence like actually dropped and you had to rebuild it? Um, not towards the end of my career. No, there's probably no moments where I felt like, like maybe I should stop shooting because you know they're not they're not going in right now. No, I didn't like that at all. Um, but but at the same time, I did know like if I don't make this next one, I'm probably going to come out the game. So <laughs> I had to keep that in mind when taking the next shot. You know what I mean? Did did that add kind of some a little bit of pressure or tension at all when you're taking that shot and you're like, damn, if I miss yeah. this definitely adds pressure because you don't want to be it's, it's so hard as a player to be constantly looking over your shoulder like oh my am I going to come out for that like like you know what I mean because then now you're always thinking about what what to do next like all right maybe I shouldn't do this because I don't want to come out so it becomes a big mind game once you start going down that road and um 
my advice as a player, don't don't even go down that road. If play your game, you know, and if you miss some shots and you get taken out for it or whatever the case may be, then at least you got taken out for put being yourself. We, okay, so would you give that advice to sophomore or junior year Devonte Green playing under Archie Miller? Like, are there things that you would do differently? Would you would you approach that differently? A hundred, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, early on, but like my my sophomore year, I was I used to go down that road all the time, and it would make me go crazy because I'm just constantly having a bunch of thoughts in my head, and now it's affecting my game, and you can see it. I would watch film and be like, wow, like I, I kind of look crazy i look like i'm thinking about 100 things like i could tell so um I, as an older Devonte, i would yeah definitely that would be the best advice i could give young Devonte. do you do you think if you had done that that maybe that that relationship with archie that you talked about that got so much better the second half of your senior year could that have happened as a sophomore could that have happened as a junior if you know if you had kind of done that and maybe kind of broken through a little bit or do you think that that was just something that needed the time um, I think it's possible because um, if I would have just done that and, and known that as a younger guy, then um, I think my play would have been better. And then ultimately, Archie would have been happier about that. And maybe we would have gotten on the same page a little sooner. One, one last question, going back to something that you mentioned before, you, know, you kind of mentioned you always came off the bench during your career. And I sensed in your voice that you didn't really like always coming off the bench. I think everybody wants to start. Yeah, but it's interesting because you kind of profile as a guy that is a good guy coming off the bench. Like, you know, you talk about these guys that can kind of heat things up, you know, you know, instant offense off the bench, like a, you know, like a Jamal Crawford type or, you know, those kind of guys that can come off the bench, you know, bring big offense. Did you accept that role? Like, were you, were you okay with that role or how much did you kind of bristle against it because you wanted to or felt you deserved to start? Um, by the end of my career, I was, I was okay with coming off the bench. Um, I know, I know we needed, we needed scoring off the bench and, um, we just needed help off the bench. So, and Archie explained that to me. So, um, I was, I was okay with it by then. And by the way, Jamal Crawford is my favorite player. So mm -hmm. that's another reason why I ended up being okay with it. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I just felt, um, like we, we would always get slow starts we'd have a lot of slow starts to games and that would be aggravating for me because then I would have to come in the game and like now I'm coming in the middle of their run, they're on a hot streak or something like that. You know what I mean? And just things like that was frustrating. And I was like, we can just get off to a good start right away. Um, possibly if we just have, you know, our best five on the court starting the game and we bumped heads on that for a little while. And then eventually I just came to accept it because I mean, I knew my role in the team and, um, it's not like I wasn't playing major mid minutes or anything. So starting didn't really become a big thing for me. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to big moment number four. Here we go. Won't take the shot over Tillman. Kicks it back out. Green for three. Wow. And the Hoosiers have the lead. Another three for Indiana. This time it's Devontae Green. Okay. No identifying comments in that one. <laughs> Do you know what game that's from? Uh no, that's tough. Hold on, let me think though. I want to say, was it my was it my senior year or was it my junior year? Junior year. Was it against Notre Dame? Mm -mm. No, ah, I don't know. At Michigan State. 
That was the mm-hmm. that was the win over Michigan State. So that was second that was half. My birthday, actually, that was what my birthday is. My birthday that game. That's right. That's right. And also, you know, probably the biggest win of Archie's career overall, given who it was against and and the venue. So those two threes, and, and obviously, you know, we talked a lot about you know how great Romeo was in that game. He was awesome. Justin Smith was awesome. You guys just as a team were so awesome that game. Al hit some big shots, but those two threes. Second half, you're down fifty-two to fifty. Duran gives you the feed. You make it. You're up 53 to 52. The second one, you're down 60 to 59. You hit the three from the right wing. So both of them, you know, you only hit three threes in the game only, you know, but those two were huge in the second half, you know, to give you guys the lead. So my first question is like, how does that win happen? Because the context is important. You guys lost 12 out of 13 games during that stretch. And the one win that you get is the most difficult of all the games at Michigan state. Like it is probably in IU history, one of the most inexplicable victories <laughs> that has ever happened. Like, how do you explain that win? Um, that game, we were, we were all clicking that game. I remember vividly. And, um, when, once we had that momentum going also, I, I always felt like, for some reason, we would always beat Michigan State. Like, we were like their kryptonite. <laughs> we would always beat Michigan State, even if we were having a terrible season. But that game, we were just clicking for some reason. Everybody was hitting, and um, it just felt really good playing together that game. And, I mean, I guess that was the result. We just came out with the victory. Yeah, you know, and the other thing is, you know, to remember the context, you had you were out the three previous games. So you had been suspended for the three previous games, you know, leading into that. Do you, you know... Share as much or as little about that as you want. What I'm curious about is, you know, do you think that that suspension was legitimate, like as you look back on it now? And even more curious, do you ever wonder how those three games before that might have gone differently if you had played in them? Because you guys were right on the razor's edge of the NCAA tournament that entire season, you know, and those three games were were so critical. How do you look at, back at that now? Um, I think I had, I had such a, um, a guilty feeling because I wasn't able to play with my guys in those three games. And I, I think those are winnable games for us, you know, especially if I played. And, um, I mean, after that, I just, I wanted to try to get as many wins as I, and then just play the best basketball I could, because I feel like I owed it to my team for that, you know? Yeah, well, look, you know, what you did at the end of your junior year was probably the most consistent stretch of basketball that you had. Um, was there, yeah. is there a connection there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think I was just, I was just super locked in by the end of my junior year. And um, um, I think, like, just my, my goals and, and everything were really clear in my head, and I was on a straight path to those. So... Do you ever, I mean, do you ever look back at that game and how well you guys played against such a great Michigan State team and think, man, what if, you know, you have Juwan on the team, you've got Romeo on the team, they're both in the NBA now, you know, you'll surely get a shot at the NBA at some point, uh, you know, Duran and, you know, so much talent on the team and it just didn't come together. Like how, what do you, what's kind of your feeling when you think back to just that team and that season overall? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we, we, we should have been a better team than we was for sure, I would say. But um, we were still we, – we, we had a lot of new guys coming in. We had a whole new coaching staff really um, for only one year. But we did have the talent to do it. And 
the Big Ten is just such a tough league, though. Talent, you're not going to win with just talent. And I think that's what happened with us. Yeah. Do you think it was more kind of like a chemistry thing, like a cohesion thing? Like, did it, did it feel like everybody was on the same page? Or was it something where it kind of felt like players were pulling in different directions and the coaches couldn't quite pull everyone together? Um, it, uh, it didn't feel too much like it was being pulled apart or anything or like players were doing their own thing, but it, it definitely didn't feel like we were together as a team. No, I wouldn't say that. Yeah. All right. Well, you mentioned, you know, it seems like you guys always beat Michigan state. Oh, well, I guess I'm giving away what the next clip is. All right. Well, here we go. There was another win against Michigan state your junior year. So let's, let's listen to some highlights from that one. <laughs> Behind the back, Morgan, a three. Breaks down the defense. Meanwhile, Green comes back and nails it three. That one almost went down outlet pass. Devontae Green, he's got Smith with him. All right, so five plays from that one. You know, we, a lot of times when we think back about that game, we think about what Justin Smith did in the first half, which was pull you guys back from the brink of annihilation. Because God, we were—I was in attendance for that game. And how did it feel? Because you talk about getting off to bad starts. I think that's one of the worst starts you guys ever got off to. And I'm like, man, I flew up to Bloomington for this, and then Justin just went off. Like, what happened at the start of that game? Um, I didn't tell you. Um. I mean, I really, honestly, I don't remember the start of it that much. It was, I know it was bad though. I know it was bad, but um, we started clicking that game and the, the um, gym, the atmosphere got us going a lot that game. The fans helped us a lot. I remember just how loud that gym was. Like you could feel the floor shaking. Yeah. You know, and one of the reasons why I wanted to pull all those clips, you know, obviously it's again, another example of you hitting big second half three pointers because the two threes that you hit, we're down 59-51, you hit one. We're down 62-56, you hit one. Those were huge threes. But it was the passing, you know, out in transition, the pass to Rob, the behind-the-back pass to Juwan Morgan, uh, which was, you know, which was great. The alley-oop to Justin Smith. I want you to talk a little bit about your passing, you know, because we talked a lot about the shooting, and, you know, we all remember the explosive shooting moments. But, you know, how did you take a lot of pride in your passing, and how did you develop kind of your unique passing style? Um, I definitely take a lot of pride in my passing. Um, I think it was, it was developed over, over time. I was trying to transition into a point guard early in my career. And, um, I mean, coming out of high school, I was like more of a shooting guard, but it was something I always wanted to work on. So you can't really, you know, go to the gym and like work on your pad. You can do passing drills and stuff, but that doesn't really help you with your vision and how to make the right pad. You know what I mean? But I think after developing it over years, um, it just got better and better. And um, like it feels, it almost feels just, it feels just as good when you get a assist than when you hit a, a three, you know, if you get the game winning assist or a, a go ahead basket assist, it feels just as good. Yeah. You know, it was weird in some games, it felt like you saw passes that your teammates didn't see. 
you know, and you would kind of make a pass and the guy on the receiving end either didn't know that it was coming or maybe wasn't ready for it. Not that all your passes were were perfect, obviously, but <laughs> did you ever feel like you were kind of on a different page than your teammates sometimes? Like you saw the game a little bit differently than they did and a pass that to us looked like it just flew out of bounds in your yeah. mind, like you kind of saw the vision for how it was all supposed to come together. Well, as a, as a point guard or as any guard as passing the ball, you quickly find out that the turnover is always yours and it's always your fault. So as a guard, um, they used to always say, one of my coaches used to always tell me, KYP, know your personnel. Like you got to know who you're passing to, if they'll be ready for that kind of pass. And as a player, I was one of those guys who like to take risks. So I would throw the w- risky ones, hoping that they would catch it. And um, sometimes it didn't work out that way. Like you said, a ball just go flying out of bounds and then everybody's looking like, Oh, what kind of pass was that? Like, you know, but um, once you learn your, your guys, you know who to pa- like what passes you can get away with to certain guys. And um, actually, Jawan Morgan was the best. He had the best hands I've ever played with. He he caught every pass I threw with him. So I I would always he was real fun to pass to. Yeah. What's your like just as a player? What's your view of turnovers? Because you know you look at a lot of the great players in the NBA and they have a lot of turnovers. But mm-hmm. fans and coaches can bristle at turnovers. Like, where's the line between pushing it too far and being the right kind of aggressive? And how would you assess your ability to toe that line as a college player? Um, well, I mean, sometimes you have to take risks to make great things happen. And I think a lot of players do that, especially in the NBA. And, um, I mean, you have, you have to draw a line somewhere, obviously. You can't, you can't just be turning the ball over, but it depends. There's two different kinds of turnovers. There's a dead ball turnover and a live action turnover. If you're making a lot of live action turnovers, then, you know, that's out of control because now they're getting fast breaks and easy points. Dead ball turnovers, it's a little more acceptable because now at least you can come back and play a set defense. You know, the other thing that I, that I always thought about watching you pass, especially, I think it really came out in your ball handling and your passing is that there was a decidedly New York flavor to your game. You know, like there's some guys like you can just you can kind of spot him. It's like, okay, that guy is from New York. <laughs> like what what do you think makes a New York player in your mind? Um I mean, just guys from from here from New York, they just have like a extra little flair to their game. Like in in at least one area. Maybe ball handling, you know what I mean? Add a little extra sauce to it. But like you said, you can always tell because of that little sauce that they add to it. And, um, I mean, just being from here and growing up here and playing against guys like that my whole life, you just naturally, you know, get that yourself. Did you feel like you had to kind of mute that flair when you were on the court in college games? Or did you feel like you could, for the most part, kind of fully express yourself? As I mean, we talked about the style. The style wasn't great. But did you still, did you feel like you were free to kind of be your own player? Or did you feel stifled in that way? Um, no, I definitely had to, had to, uh, limit what I did because, um, you know, they, if they just, they didn't like that kind of basketball, you know, they, they wanted real fundamental, um, basketball that, you know, they played in like the nineties, but I understand, I understand it. And, um, sometimes I would, I would take it a little too far, you know what I mean? Get a little too extra creative with things. So I needed someone to, like, you know what, you need to calm it down a little bit. And by the end of my career, like I said, 
um, I was just at a point where I was like, all right, if I make a mistake or, or if I end up coming out of the game, at least it's because I'm doing what I usually do. You know what I mean? At least I'm playing my, my own basketball. Cause when I don't, I would watch myself make silly turnovers, just like not being who I am. And, um, once I realized that I just, I just played my game. You know, two of the kind of most well-known like basketball cultures and the places where basketball means the most is New York and Indiana. And you now, you know, you had the ability, you grew up in New York, played there, developed your game there. Then you came to Bloomington, spent your college years in Indiana where basketball means so much. What are the similarities and differences between the basketball cultures of New York and Indiana? Uh, The similarities is everyone loves basketball. In Indiana and New York, everyone loves basketball. So there's a lot of guys playing, um, which makes the competition better. And um, I guess it adds more pressure as a, as a player to be good because you want to live up to, you know, the hype. And the difference is, um, I'm not sure what, it, what it's like in Indiana and the parks and stuff, but in New York, everybody everybody's outside playing, you know, and that that's why I think they have that that, that flair because we're just so used to playing park ball that that's pretty much what, what we know. <laughs> and um, out of Indiana, it's a lot more like just about the fundamentals and the basics, like I said. And it's um it's a, it's a different kind of basketball for sure. Yeah. All right, let's go on now to the sixth highlight. This is the one that. I, w- I don't know if I would rank it number one personally. I kind of like the shooting highlights myself. But I do believe on Twitter that you said this is your favorite highlight. And so let's play this one now. I'm sure you know what's coming. Guaranteed. She's going to steal. Gonna <laughs> That's got to be a violation. I've never seen it before. That's got to be a kickball. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this play, folks. Devontae Green bricks Garrington's pocket with a shoe in his hand. Woo! No shoehorn, but a shoe steal. So, look, man, it's one thing to get a steal with a shoe in your hand. It's another thing to do it when Gus Johnson and Bill Raftery are announcing the game so that forever, that's what you hear. Talk, talk about that play and how you kind of reflect on that play. That was from your freshman year. It was. What was it? I think it was sophomore no, year. No, sophomore year. That's right. It was Archie's first year. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yep. Um, I remember my shoe coming off. My shoe came off a couple times that year, actually. Those shoes, those shoes were slippery, but um I was I was asking the ref when I, I was like, my shoe can't like like can you stop stop the play or something? And he he just looked at me and shrugged his shoulders like uh I don't know what you want me to do. So I was like, all right, I picked up my shoe and I'm running back, and my one foot is just sliding all over the floor. I'm just trying to keep the grip on the one foot with a shoe on. And um, I know and it, just, it just happened so fast. I remember stealing the ball and Archie got mad at me. He's like, why? Why did your shoe keep falling off? Because my shoe <laughs> fell off like four in practice. And he was like, we had to waste time out. I was like, I'm sorry, but at least I got the steal. Like, what do you want me to say? I don't know, man. Archie getting mad at someone for their shoe falling off is that's that's funny. That's that's a very Archie detail, it feels like. Do you do you have that shoe still? I don't. I don't. What, I had what? to. I, um, Archie said, because like I said, my shoe fell off a couple times that year. I think the very next game, my shoe came off again. Before that game, he was like, if your shoe falls off again, you're throwing those shoes in the garbage. 
So next game comes, shoe falls off. Actually, we was going on offense. My shoe fell off on defense. And um, I just slip it back on real quick, run down the court. They swing it to me. I rip through and then, like get an and one or something. I'm like, look, good things happen when my shoe comes off. Yeah. Let, the, let him play with one shoe, Archie. Come on. <laughs> He's like, nah, they got, you can't wear them no more. So I had to turn them. So do you, do you regret not keeping the shoe? Because I feel like that would be a cool artifact to have. I guarantee you some IU fan would pay money for that just to be able to kind of have like the Devontae Green shoe. Do you wish you'd kept it? I do. I really do wish I kept it. Yeah. So I, I do want to talk about your defense because I remember when you were a recruit, you did a video with somebody and you were kind of talking about your game. And I remember when we did our scouting report of you, you know, it came up a lot that you talked about, you're, you know, you were known for your offense, obviously, but you talked about defense and you said something to the effect of, you know, I want to be one of the best defenders in college basketball. You know, I really pride myself on defense. I'm paraphrasing. It was something like that. Mm -hmm. Do you, how do you assess your defense as a college player? Like, how do you, how do you think overall that the defense that you played measured up to kind of the ideals that you had for yourself coming into college? Um, I'm I'm a tough critic on myself, so I mean I always think I could have done something better or um, did something differently. But um, overall, I mean, guys would tell you I, I took good pride in my defense, and um, I would I would really get angry if someone was like scoring on me, or, or it was the reason I'm the reason that we're getting scored on. So, I mean, over the years, I think I, I, I like how my defense um played but i mean of course i wish i would have gotten more something like some accolades maybe or i don't know you know something um that that says like you know this guy is a defender do you look when i was a player i always played much better defense after i when i was making shots <laughs> like there's there's a special kind of defense if you've made a couple three pointers in a row you got a little extra bounce in your step do you do you ever feel like your offense influenced your defense or were you able to kind of separate those two? Um, I feel like I was able to separate, um, at some point, like my, if my shot wasn't falling or offensively, I just wasn't playing as well. I would always have like the mindset of like, all right, I can always get it on defense, you know, cause naturally defense just starts, starts your offense. And, um, I feel like, especially when I was learning how to come off the bench and everything, I was like, I'm just going to come in and, be the best defender and let my offense come to me. So I figured if I do that, then even if my offense isn't coming to me, then at least I was still solid on defense. What do you, what did you think of the pack line? What did you think of it when Archie brought it in and you were learning it? And you know, what did you think about it as you left? You know, once it had kind of been more installed and you guys were playing it a little better. Um, not a fan. I was not a fan of the pack line defense. Um, I'll tell you why. I feel like the pack line was is designed to give up a lot of threes and playing in 2020. That was the, the new style of game. Everybody was starting to just do the run and gun style of play. So when we would play a team like Michigan, who shoots a lot of threes, they spread the floor and shoot a lot of threes. We would get killed. And there was literally nothing we could do unless we changed our defense. So I didn't like the, the pack line as much. And also it, it, you had to rely a lot on your help defense in the pack line. And me as a defender, I like to play, you know, one-on-one on the ball defense. So 
that I didn't really like the pack line because of that. Because if we came across a good three-point shooting team, we were going to be in trouble. And I knew that even coming into the game. Did that ever come up? Like, were guys ever like, Coach, can we, like, adjust? Can we do something different? Or was it just like you just kind of knew, like, hey, this is his defense. This is what we're doing. You know, were those conversations ever had? See, that's the reason me and Archie would bump heads is because I was the only one trying to be like, um, maybe we should, like, try to change this defense or try something different. And Archie's like, no, this is the defense we're going to play. And that's what it is. So. I mean, I, I would say something at times like, no, we have to get out as deep. We've got to change something. And um, sometimes guys w- would agree and sometimes guys w- wouldn't wouldn't agree or either way, nobody really would say anything because they knew the outcome anyway, you know? Yeah. Was it, did he try to sell you on why you should believe in this defense or was it more just, this is what we do. You're the player. I'm the coach. This is what you're going to do. Um, yeah, I mean, w- when it worked, when it did work, he'd be like, see, that's why we, <laughs> that's why we play this defense. But, um, he was, when it didn't work and I, I would say something like, well, maybe the pack line might be the reason he'd be like, no, well, we're playing the pack line anyway. So get over it and learn how to play. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and I mean, I, at the end of the day, he's, he's a coach on the player. I have to listen to, um, whatever he wanted. And we were only going to win if. I would buy into what he was saying. So eventually I would just buy into it, but I didn't, I didn't necessarily like it though, but I bought into it. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, it, there's one thing to buy into something because you have to, and there's one thing to buy into something because you believe in it. Like, do you yeah. think, do you think that distinction made a difference in how you guys play defense? Like, do you think most guys like fully believed in it? Like, Hey, we, you know, we're really into this defense or do you think it was like a begrudging? All right, you know, we'll do it, man. But, yeah, I mean, I think as a team, we we all took pride in our defense. So whatever defense we were going to play, we were just going to try our best to, you know, get get the stop. So whether you like the pack line or not, um, I think we were all, like, regardless of what we're doing, just get a stop, you know. And when we had that mentality, we were pretty, we were pretty good. Yeah. All right, let me do one more highlight real quick that I want to get your thoughts on. Do you have time? I know you okay. said... You you need to yeah, yeah and I got uh, like ten ten fifteen minutes maybe okay so there's one more highlight that I want to play this is not on like the in the top six or anything this is just an extra one but it can lead into another conversation um, so okay let me let me play this now in Indiana is going to run out the clock maybe they won't McSwain was going for the alley oop and Coach Tom Green was not pleased with that he's not mad at the official he's mad he wanted the ball pulled out and it wasn't pretty obvious what play that was yeah okay so my first thought what going back and watching that replay is go up and dunk the ball freddie catch the <laughs> ball and dunk it man <laughs> i think i think it would have been a little less uh bad if you would have made the dunk but re-watching it as soon as i made that pass coach cream is already walking towards me on the court so i don't know I don't know. I don't well, know. okay. So let me let me tell you where I come from on on plays like this. I think if you're going to play 40 minutes and guys are on the court, play basketball. If you're up by 30 and a shot is open, take the shot. So I don't have any problem with it. But I am curious at the time how you reacted to Coach Crean just so you know outlandishly running out and kind of getting in your face like that. 
And then with kind of the benefit of time, with some age, with some perspective, is your reaction now any different? Mm-hmm. Um, well, at the time, um, it was a fast break play. And Freddie McSwain was was running. He's known for, to be a dunker, you know, and he wasn't playing that much at the time. So I figured, you know, why not? Throw him an alley, get a bucket, and everyone's happy. Um. I mean, I, I got I got it bad for that one, but looking back at it older now, I understand why he he came on the court and did that the way he did because as a coach, you don't want to look like you stand for that kind of thing, like you know running it up in a blowout game. So I understand why he did it. It, it could have been like a for show thing to like I'm I was not like I'm completely against that. I want everybody to know I'm completely against that. Um. But also for me, like as a player, it was pretty embarrassing, you know, and um, I was a freshman, too. So I really I was just like, all right, I mean, I'm sorry. Like, I won't do it again. And and that was it at the time. Yeah, it's, you know, on the one hand, like, I feel like it's unfortunate kind of bringing that up because I'm sure you probably don't want to be remembered for that highlight or have it talked about too much. But I think it is it is something that people remember. And frankly, people remember it because of Crean's reaction, not because of the play, you know, so. Did he like? Did the conversation carry over into the locker room? Did you guys talk about it at all later? Did he ever express regret about showing you up like that? Which, frankly, was like, okay, it's fine if you don't want your players to do that. I get it, but it just to me, my perspective, it seemed like him trying to show off like he was against it rather than trying to prove a point to you. You don't need to agree mm-hmm. with that, but that's just that's how I look at it, kind of with perspective. But did you guys ever talk about it afterwards? Was there more of a teaching moment later? Um, no. No, he came back to the locker room. Um, I got it even worse in the locker room, and I mean, you guys won by twenty one. <laughs> no, Cream's one of those coaches though. He he would honestly be sometimes more mad in a blowout win than in a game we barely won. You know, because I mean, he was a perfectionist. He he would always pick out the things we did wrong, but he he was always super hard on me and. um as a young guy, I really didn't understand it at first until someone told me, like, you know, don't worry, because he was just as hard on Yogi Ferrell. And he liked Yogi Ferrell the most, like, you know what I mean? So maybe he saw something in me, and that's why he was so hard on me. But, no, he never really, like, explained, why, like, after that, why he did it or or anything like that. Man, you know, your freshman season, you know, obviously that team was coming off the Big Ten title, making it to the Sweet 16. You guys come out, you beat Kansas, you know, that huge game, first game of the season. You beat North Carolina. I distinctly remember having a conversation on a radio show. Is this team Final Four good? Because I think at that time, I think you were in the top five in the AP poll. And then, you know, you start losing, OG gets hurt, you know, things kind of fall apart. But, man, like, what were you feeling through the first, like, month of your college career? Was it like, hey, I'm at Indiana, this is how things are going to be, and we're going to win a ton of games? Yeah. Yeah. Coming in, um, that's exactly what I thought and, and how I felt. And we had, we had a really good team. That team was stacked my freshman year. We just was unfortunate with injuries. You know, OG got hurt, James got hurt and eventually TB got hurt. But, um, there's a, there was a lot of pros in that team and, and, um, we were, we were flowing good in the beginning of the season. And once we lost to, I think it was, I, I, you, I forgot one of the, uh, IUPY team, Fort Wayne, maybe. Was it Fort Wayne? Okay, yeah. After the Fort Wayne loss, 
everything just started going downhill from there, you know? Well, you know, you guys in Big Ten play, you know, had a stretch. I think you lost, I don't know, 8 out of 10, 9 out of 11, something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously not as stark of a losing streak as, as you had your junior year when you lost 12 out of 13. But, like, like why did it? why did it fall down so much in the second half of that season with all the guys that you had? Was it just injuries or was there more there that kind of made that go South? Um, I think it was, I think majority of it was injuries because we lose OG and James. Those are two of our key players, you know? And I mean, it forced the other guys to have to step up, but they weren't, they haven't had to step up, you know, all season. So, um, to just be thrown into the fire. I mean, you have to be ready for that, but I think that was a big part of our losing streak. Because as fans, like we kind of looked at that. It's like, all right, you know, Kareen, bottom's falling out of another Kareen team in Big Ten play. You know, he's, you know, the, the ups and downs, like the roller coaster. Do you think that fans treated him fairly? Like, because you were there on the inside. We're just watching the results. Do you think the mm-hmm. reaction was fair, given what you experienced as a player on that team? Um. As a player, I, I would say no. I didn't think it was fair because just the year before, it's like people forgot that they just had went on that run. You know what I mean? And um, he was he was a big reason for that. And um, we started out the season great before the injuries. Once one guy went down, um, it felt like everything just started snowballing downhill. And um, I mean, I just didn't think that was fair because realistically if we had all our players we had james tb and og we probably win half of those games so i just didn't think it was fair for that for that reason how do you think your career would have been different if tom crean had stayed um i think about that often but i really i really don't know because it didn't happen you know i mean i could i could play if if fans and butts all day but um I do know his system fit my style of play better. And um, I think he would have elevated my game to another level because of how well-known he was for developing players. So with that being said, maybe I would have been in a better position. Maybe I would have had a better career. Who knows? Man, you've been really, really generous with your time, and I appreciate it. Let me get you out of here with just a couple of fun questions that I'd love okay. to know. You you famously, as I mentioned earlier, you famously have the the San Andreas cheat code tattoo on your arm. Everybody knows about that one. What's your other? Mm-hmm. What's your favorite tattoo? Favorite? Hmm. Um, it probably is the cheat code because I can. It's it's a part of my game as well. I can use it, you know, as as a part of my game, but it's also a part of who I am. But um, I mean, I love I love all my tattoos, honestly. <laughs> I probably have a couple favorites. I have another one. The eye on the inside of my arm is probably one of my favorites too. Um, I as in like a like the letter I or like a C? No, like an I. Okay. Yeah. Yep. What's the significance yep. of that one? Um, it's from a show. This is my my whole arm is a cartoon sleeve, so everything is has background meanings through cartoons, and that one is um, Sharing Gun Eye you only unlock it when you've gone through a great deal of pain. So, and I got that around the time that I got it, it was, it was, um, fitting, you know? Yeah. What, um, now that you don't live in Bloomington anymore, what do you miss most? 
about Bloomington? Most, um, I mean, the people, of course, because um, I haven't seen them since I've been in Bloomington. Um, also, baked of Bloomington cookies. I love those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you have you been back at all? Do you do you plan on on coming back to Bloomington and like trying to be involved with the team in the program? Yeah, I was actually um, in Bloomington a couple of weeks ago, um, right around the time uh, Coach Woodson got hired. Um, I was just coming to grab some of my stuff, though my gear and um, save some of the trainers and stuff. I didn't get to meet Coach Woodson, unfortunately, but I'll probably go back again soon. Are you are you a Knicks fan? No, no, I'm not. You just- <laughs> So is that just because you cheer for whatever team Danny's on, or you just didn't grow up a Knicks fan? Um, no, I didn't grow up a Knicks fan. Um, I grew up really at any team fan. I was always just like a player fan. So, okay, but no, not. Although we are doing very well right now. Yes, no, for sure. Well, I was curious if if you you know if you were cheering for the Knicks and Woods, would Coach Woodson were there, or or if Danny has any experience with with Coach Woodson that he's told you about, or you guys probably haven't talked about it because he's in the middle of the season. But do you yeah. know? No, I don't know if he's had any um, experience with Coach Wilson. I'm not sure. All right, so my last question for you. Well, number one, how how much would you like to play in Coach Woodson's system that he's talking about? This four out, oh. one in. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it sounds so fun. It's one of the first things I thought about when uh, when he was in. I was like, man, there's some recent players that would really yeah. rather wish they were playing now. No, but happy. I'm happy for those guys. And uh, I think Coach Wilson's going to do a good job with them. So, I mean, we'll see. Only time will tell. Last question for you. If someone just kind of asked you, you know, someone from New York, you're back at home and they're like, what was it like playing in Indiana? What is like, what would your response be? And maybe like, what's the one story that you reflect on that you think is most indicative of, of your time as a Hoosier? Um, well, if someone asked me how, how it was playing in Indiana. Um, I mean, I, I would just say it was an amazing experience. Um, even with all the ups and downs of my career, um, just the fans at IU, um, the people I've met along the way, you know, and um, even just like the the moments I've had, like with my teammates in the hotel and stuff like that. I, all of that I miss the most. And when I reflect, I only think about the good time, you know. So someone was asking me like, "What what was it?" And I, I would probably bring up one of my biggest games or like, you know, the most fun I've had at IU, something like that. Yeah, is there a particular story that jumps out? Like one in particular? Um no. <laughs> is that because is that because you can't tell the story or there's just or there's yeah. just so many? Okay. <laughs> I say the stories I want to tell, but I mean I could I could give you a good story though. Um so Archie story, me and Archie. We're playing in practice and he um stops the practice because he says I didn't jump to the ball on defense. Jumping to the ball is like if it's passed that way, you have to jump that way towards the ball. So um I was like, yeah I did. I did jump to the ball. He was like, no you did and everybody on the line, we ran a couple couple suicides or whatever. And then um after I'm still talking yeah I'm I'm just a competitor, you know, and I used to give Archie a hard time. I'm like, just so you know I I did jump to the ball. <laughs> so I just want you to know I was like, I'll run. We all gonna run, but I did jump to the ball. So after the practice, I go to him. I'm like, "Listen, um, you owe me an apology because I jumped to the ball in that play. <laughs> I wouldn't let it go. I wouldn't let it go." And then um, he's like, he calls one of the managers. Hey, go go get the film. 
He's like, you, if you jump to the ball, I'll give you $1 million. I said, okay, $1 million. Let's bet. So we bet. Um, the guy comes back with the film and we bring up the play. And I'm like, right here. Look, I jumped to the ball. He was like, oh, that was, that was a half-assed jump, you know? I was like, nope, nope. I jumped to the ball. I was like, so. Oh, and he said, I was like, I was like, you owe me a million dollars and you owe me a couple suicides that we ran for that play. <laughs> and uh, he never gave me the million dollars or ran, so. Well, you know, but, you, need to, you need to hit him up now and be like, Coach, I'm sorry you lost your job, but you got that big buyout. You got yeah, the million yeah, dollars. You owe me a million dollars. Oh, uh, that's great, man. That's a good story. I appreciate you sharing. Well, Devontae, this is yeah. awesome. I've uh, I've wanted to talk to you for a long time, and I appreciate you giving us the time to just yeah, no you know problem. tell tell your story in your words. We appreciate it, man. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I had sure. fun for sure, and good luck. You know, obviously, getting back into the into the pros, we'll be following you wherever you go, and uh, just wishing you nothing but success moving forward. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Cool. Thanks, Devontae. All right. Have a good one. All right. Bye. You too. All right, everybody. Devontae Green. Really appreciate him taking the time to to talk with us. I, you know, had a lot more questions I wanted to get into with him, obviously, as I always do. You know, anytime we get the opportunity to talk to to players, you know, recent players, past players, there's just there's so many questions to ask, so many games to talk about, so many stories. Um, you know, so it, it can be difficult sometimes to kind of prioritize, you know, like what's what's the most important. So I appreciate those of you in the community. Uh, who submitted question ideas, um, you know, because that, that really helped me kind of put this together. But, you know, such an interesting career that Devontae had. And I think probably of all, let me think before I say this. Yeah, I mean, I, I think of all the players that have passed through Indiana during the time that we've been doing the show. And we started the show in 2011, 2012. You know, he he's one of the most interesting ones. And he's one of the ones that, you know, I've I've probably oscillated the most on you know kind of how I reacted to. I think it was easy early in his career to see the talent, but to see you know how it needed to be reined in. You know, as we talked about, you know that you know the playing with that flair, but yet also trying to fit in you know to a team system. You know, obviously, you know you had that that big moment with Crean, his freshman year, where Crean yells at him, and you could always kind of tell that it felt like there was tension between you know, him and Archie, and it just, it never felt like the seamless fit that it, you know, it sometimes felt with other guys. Not that, you know, great players don't have issues with coaches, but it just, you know, it kind of felt like there was just something, something that didn't fit how it was supposed to. Um, and I think early in Devonte's career, he took a lot of heat for that. And we placed a lot of that responsibility on him, you know, because, hey, Crean's won a couple Big Ten titles here and Archie's coming in. We have high hopes for Archie. So clearly, you know, Archie must be right, and Devontae needs to be the one to kind of rein his game in. And I'm surely guilty of saying that on a number of postgame shows. And I think over the last couple of years of his career, I started to change that some, you know, and I really started to think, you know, maybe, maybe we're looking at this wrong, you know, and maybe this is a guy that needs more freedom and needs a coach who's going to believe in him more and is going to empower him more. You know, one thing that I, I didn't get a chance to talk about this with Devontae um, and, you know, I talked to them, you know, before the show that, Hey, if we don't get to everything, maybe we'll, we'll do another conversation. But, you know, Eddie Cotton wrote a great profile of Devonte uh, during his time there. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, Eddie Cotton, who is now doing social media for FC Dallas right here in, uh, where I live, but he had this quote from his dad and, you know, he's, he's reflecting on 
you know, De, Devante's mom, I think, left him when they were two. And his dad was talking about how, you know, that impacted him throughout his life. And he said, this is Devante's dad, uh, Daniel Green Sr. He seemed to always need to be encouraged. I had to be extra supportive with him. You can see it even now. There are times when you have to constantly encourage, encourage, encourage more than you would normally, just to let him know that everything is going to be all right. And I remember reading that article was a real turning point for me in how I viewed Devante as a fan. You know, because it's so easy to just watch these games and get caught up in kind of our ideal vision for what the team is supposed to look like, what a player is supposed to look like. And when the mistake is made, we're you know so quick to assign blame, even though we only know like 5% of the story. And, you know, I just, I thought about that a lot with him. And, I, you know, I think his answers are interesting that, you know, he's, he's glad he stayed committed to Indiana. I think it seems pretty clear that if he could have transferred without sitting out a year, he probably would have. And while, you know, I would have missed watching his career because for all the ups and the downs, Devontae was interesting. He was interesting as a player. He, he gave you a reaction. You know, it was either the elation of a guy hitting eight threes and hitting all these big shots and leading to a big victory, or it was the other reaction of like, man, he's just not locked in this game, or why did he make that pass, or what's going on? You know, but during an era of Indiana basketball that was, it wasn't boring, because IU basketball is never boring, but it was, maybe vanilla is the right word, you know, maybe just kind of blah is a, a word, kind of a meh few years Devontae's the guy that made stuff interesting, you know, and it feels like we never quite got to see him fully unlocked and that the times when he was fully unlocked, it was great, but you're always going to have to probably deal with some ups and the downs, but maybe with that better relationship with the coach that it seems like he got with Archie toward the end of his career, you know, and that the mindset that he had at his end of his junior year, when we really saw what he could be as a player, where he's averaging like 15 points and four assists and the team is playing really well. We got to see what he was like, but maybe with a little bit more of that, his career goes differently. And I think he is such an interesting case of fit matters so much, you know, and the decision that these, the players make when they're being recruited and where they're going to go is so personal. And it, the relationship with the coach is so important. And the style of play is so important because, you know, these guys only get to do this once. Now it's different now with transferring. And I think it's good that, you know, a guy can go somewhere, realize that, you know, maybe the system isn't what he likes or his coach gets fired or whatever, and he can move on to something else. Because I think Devontae is a great exhibit of how that could really benefit a guy. But you could also say that Devontae might have learned a lot from staying and powering through it, and maybe that will benefit him, you know, more down the line. I don't know. You know, that it's one of those things you can always look at in hindsight. But, you know, I just, I think on the one hand, Devontae was probably treated as unfairly from a certain segment of fans, and he has a good perspective on this, you know, he doesn't seem to be bitter about it at all, but I think he was treated as unfairly by a certain segment of fans as any player, again, during the time that we've been doing the show. Um, and I count myself among those early on, but as with anything, the more that we get to learn about these players, learn about them as people, learn about their backgrounds, it really helps you to see them as fully formed people. And I think that article by Eddie Cotton uh, and just, you know, other statements that Devontae has made, let us kind of see him a little bit. Uh, in a different light. And I think that helped fans embrace him more in a good way as a senior, you know, and I think reflect on his time without wallowing in, in the bad stuff and the losses and some of the bad plays and the turnovers and the bad shots, like that stuff was there and it's, it's going to be there for a lot of players. And maybe the swings from high to low were greater with him 
than they were with other players. But I think most fans have been able to focus on the things that he did well and even have that feeling of what if. You know, like what if this guy was in a bit of a different system? You know, and what if that relationship had been a little bit better? You know, I think he, I think Devontae, I guess my point is, I think Devontae probably had more to give at Indiana as a player in a system that was more well-suited to him. And I think on the one hand, it's to his credit that he stayed and stuck it out. On the other hand, it's circumstantial, you know, because he didn't have the, the ability to transfer. Um, but it does make his career an interesting, an interesting kind of what if. You know, what if you put him in Mike Woodson's system? Who knows? Um, all I know is I really enjoyed watching him play. Um, you know, some of the moments that he had over the last four or five years are some of the most joyous moments that we've had as fans. And I think when you have a gift as a basketball player to do that, when you can go eight for 10 from downtown, when you can make the plays that he can make, you know, even if your career didn't lead to a lot of winning, and even if there were some of those ups and downs, I think ultimately you're going to be remembered more for the ups. And I hope that's how Devonte was remembered, um, or, or will be remembered. Cause that's certainly how I'm going to remember him, uh, as a player. So again, appreciate him him joining us. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed that conversation. Uh, wanted to wanted to talk with him for a long time, uh, just to ask him some of those questions and kind of relive some of those moments with him. So hopefully, you enjoyed that uh, that format. But my thanks to Devonte Green for uh, for joining me. My thanks to you for listening, and we will talk to you guys on Thursday night for Assembly Call Radio. So until then, oh geez, well there's only one way to end this. I didn't need to ask him for the uh, for the outro because we already have it. So let's get this right here from uh, from Mr. Greenlight himself. Here we go. Where is it? There it is. Here we go. Take it from the Greenlight himself. Keep your elbows in, eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Absolutely. Talk to you guys soon. I like everything about that. You're the kind of person who makes a difference at work. So why not work on something that makes a difference? At Zooks, we're looking for collaborative, inquisitive people who can help us achieve our mission. Safer, cleaner, more enjoyable mobility for everyone. Come build the future at Zooks. Find out more at zoox.com slash careers. The Ford Mustang Mach-E, the F-150 Lightning, the E-Transit van, three of America's most iconic popular vehicles. They've been fully electrified, and they're making the revolutionary feel familiar. We've got a feeling they'll help make electric vehicles even more popular for all Americans. Call it a hunch. Ford Electric Vehicles. Built for America. Built Ford Proud.